0: Picture this, your alarm rings its way through your dreams in the early morning, and as you roll over to snooze or turn it off, you might feel called to unlock your phone and peruse the latest updates to your social feeds, who's posted a throwback pic, tagged you in a tweet, posted a new TikTok, or pushed out an ad for some fashion brand whose bots comment on half of your posts. You methodically click through each app on your home screen until you've covered your bases and you're satisfied that you've caught up. So you get up, you get ready for your day. Maybe you make breakfast and while you're waiting for your coffee to be ready, you open your apps again and scroll mindlessly through pages of content you've already consumed. And this process repeats itself until bedtime. Unlock phone, apps, scroll, close, rinse and repeat. Even as you lay to go to sleep again and find yourself cast in the blue glow of your screen, eyes glazed as you like and scroll, taking in all sorts of messaging about what to buy, who to be, who not to be, what to love, what to hate. It's endless. The messaging that so clearly pushes you to be dissatisfied with what you have and you fall asleep with that cloud of dissatisfaction looming in your mind. It comes as no surprise that social media, for many of us, is all consuming. It's how we stay connected to loved ones and strangers, check in on celebrities, find a new brand to obsess over, but it's also how we are taught to perceive our friends, family, and ourselves. In a perfect world, we all might want to believe that we regulate our social media consumption, and more importantly, that we don't let it dictate our feelings toward our own lives. However, I think we can recognize that some, if not all, aspects of our social presence are curated to suit the narrative we wish for others to see of us. Are we going to fun places, buying new outfits, being successful in a material manner that we can show off on our feeds? See, we find ourselves in a world where, whether we like it or not, there are multiple versions of reality. There's us and our real lives, and then there's the version of us that we share to social media. Many of us grapple daily with how we're perceived by others, and social media is an opportunity to wholly control the narrative. Maybe you edit your photos, brighten them up to hide a blemish, change the hues to fit the aesthetic you've decided on for your Instagram grid. You stay up to date with trends, and although followers may not be of immediate concern to you, you check up on those numbers, curious to see if you've gained followers, nudging you even closer to that status of influencer, even if you don't quite know who you'd be influencing. But how does this curated, edited, and falsified version of reality affect the ways in which we see ourselves? I'm Amy Porterfield, and this is Talking Body. The age of social media is still relatively new, so, most studies or clinical observations on how it affects our mental health are in their infancy but preliminary research into the subject seems to indicate that constant use and exposure to social media tends to have a negative impact on our overall body image. We talked about it a bit in an early episode. People, women especially, have always been inundated with pictures of beautiful, thin, toned celebrities and told that these women hold the beauty standard for desirability. It's nothing new in our society to be told that we must compare ourselves to others. What is new, however, is how often we see these images. Back in the day, the magazine rack at the grocery store used to be the main culprit of these images. Celebrity tabloids, photo shoots, and award shows best dressed told our mothers just who and what they should hope to look like. But these images could be left on the rack. Forgotten until you picked up the next magazine. Now, these images are everywhere on our phones, on our computers, on our TVs, and it's not just celebrities, it's people we know too. With the ability to edit images and curate our own content, studies have shown that women feel more negatively about themselves not after looking at images of celebrities, but at images of acquaintances. It makes sense if you think about it. When you relate more personally to someone or know something about them, you're more likely to compare their journey to your own. We see it all the time with FOMO, fear of missing out. So why wouldn't it be true for the fear of how we see ourselves as well? My social media is absolutely
1: a curated presentation of me at my most attractive most interesting funniest most social
2: I don't think that anyone's social media is a apt representation of who they are I think that it's a display of who you think you could be You're willing to be, but you haven't executed it because of the little to no resources that you have on being that particular person that you posted online.
0: I just think it's impossible for a population of people to not compare themselves to what they see all day long on this feed. My kids, I really don't want them on social media until they're old enough to understand its value and sort of lack thereof in relation to their own self-worth.
2: I have altered a photo of myself before I put it online. You know, there's the skin touch-ups, I look too oily, or my teeth don't look really white here, or my stomach is sticking out of my jeans weird. Can we smooth that out? I try not to do it, but it's just like, well, it, it would be easy to fix it, and it would make me feel better about myself. I purposely curate it to be inspiration for myself as well.
0: So for me, it's like motivational quotes or healthy recipes and things like that where I'm also learning kind of from my own things that I'm putting out. I'm not
2: always rainbows and butterflies, but I'm also trying to motivate and inspire and encourage others that might need to hear something. I do make an effort to post things in my life that are not always colorful and cheerful because I think that's uh, not a true representation of what we are. A lot of my posts are definitely positive and go with the social media narrative, but it's something that I'm striving towards. It's
1: really fine balance to find, to be your authentic self so people can relate to you. And for me, it's so important that they can, uh, but then also not to look like you're oversharing or you're looking for sympathy or just maybe putting stuff out there that maybe
0: you should have just kept in between the lines. As a woman with a platform, I honestly don't love that I have to put my body on display as part of my marketing and media presence. I watch myself age, my body change, and the video and photo evidence stays there, ingrained in the cloud forever. I'm certainly not the only woman who dislikes the need for her body to be displayed for likes, comments, and clicks. That's why I called my friend Sophia Amoruso, who in many ways watched herself grow up online. In her early 20s, she created Nasty Gal, an era defining e commerce business based on this idea of the attainable cool girl. Later, she published the best selling Girl Boss, a phrase that has come to encapsulate a whole new wave of women online. The hustler, the entrepreneur, The mashup of power and influence with the undeniably feminine. I wanted to ask Sophia, how does it feel to build these huge brands and then have them exist outside of yourself as identity markers for other women to try and display? Tell me this, in your early days of Nasty Gal, when your profile was rising, did you ever struggle with the way that you were being perceived by others? I mean, yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, And what what did that look like? I mean, it was so entertaining, but it was also really bewildering um, because I was this anomaly and I was like edgy and didn't go to college, but built this big business and um, you know, I had like a bad haircut, I had like choppy bangs, and people like some people loved it, and other people, you know, it's like reading the comments on the internet, you know, you get press, and they're like, she looks like she would be nasty in bed, or you know, it's just like people just tr- people will say like anything, so I felt. I felt very celebrated, but I also felt like I was kind of a little bit of a like lamb led to slaughter. Like you don't know what you're getting yourself into when you put yourself in the public eye. And so many people are experiencing that via social media. This was kind of before influencers. This was in like, you know, there were a few, but it was like back in 2012. Um, And so it's, you know, I I guess in when I think about that kind of criticism, I think about that everybody has a platform now and we're all looking at one another on social media. And that even though my profile and criticism of me has been amplified over the years, the feeling that comes with it isn't necessarily any greater than the feeling that someone with you know, a thousand followers on Instagram might feel comparing themselves to other people or being criticized for their body or the way they look or anything else.
0: It, it makes sense. And I'm curious because do you remember when your online persona, it changed from like a fun thing you kept up with online using social media to like a part of your brand? Like, do you remember that? And if so, like, what did that feel like when it changed?
1: It you know it became work it was you know there was a, i was traveling it was easy to update social media when i was like at a conference and at a dinner and with friends and they tagged me and i tagged them and you know there wasn't the algorithm wasn't there we weren't chasing you know this this whole kind of mean scavenger hunt of like what does the algorithm want from us it felt like a lot more i mean dare i say uh innocent of a time yeah um, where, you know, posting just felt very, it was actually organic and nothing really feels organic anymore. Um,
0: that, that's for sure. My,
1: my personal brand, you know, in some ways was written for me. Uh, I feel like over the years I've been able to kind of own it or kind of evolve it in some ways, but you never really know what people think of you or if they remember who they thought you were five or 10 years ago versus who you are now. You're always going to live with that kind of haze of who am I versus who do people think I am?
0: Well, that leads me to my next question. I've been wanting to ask you, which is, do you feel like your social media now is an accurate representation of who you are in your day-to-day life?
1: I'm not, you know, I try to get dressed, like when I take photos for Instagram or find myself on social media, if I'm like wearing sweats, sometimes I'll do that, but there's, it's really not as much to post being at home. So I have to try a little bit harder. Um, And my life isn't as beautiful as, you know, I don't have the perfect morning routine. I don't, it's like my office is often a mess, but I share that. Um, I sit down at my desk (laughs) every morning, And I take an antidepressant, anti-anxiety, pretty low dose. That really helps me, like helps me focus, not spin out. You know, I think in, you know, I've always had issues with depression. I was a very, very, very unhappy kid and was sent to a ton of different therapists and, you know, had not trouble learning in school, but was a troublemaker. Um, And so over the years, I've kind of finally accepted that maybe, it doesn't have to be so hard. Um, and I do a ton of work on myself outside of, um, prescriptions, or I don't know what you call it. Mental health pills.
2: (laughs) When did you,
0: when did you decide to share that on social media? Because that hasn't been always your case, right? Or have you always been that open on social media?
1: I mean, I've talked about it in the past, but I feel like I posted something recently that was like a routine of hey, here's my coffee. And I'm here's my like, you know, Prozac, and then I'm washing it down with my coffee. And I was like, you know, morning routine. And it's a little bit of like a, you know, like joke on the perfect morning routines that so many people right. present on Instagram, whether or not that's true. It's very trendy. And so I think people appreciated it because they were like, I mean, my DMs were, it was just like, thank you for normalizing, you know, mental health. And, you know, I thought maybe it would be like, oh God, she's unstable, but people really felt seen when I, when I, yeah.
0: I'm curious if you fall into the trap of comparing yourself to others online and on social media. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. About that.
1: Uh, I compare myself a lot. There's been times where I've muted, people that I know very well.
0: Me too. So I just don't
1: see their stories and I don't see their feed, whether it's like, oh my God, everybody's pregnant every five minutes or, you know, wow, they're on a vacation and I'm just like struggling to raise money for my company. I go on great vacations, like don't get me wrong, but it doesn't matter like how great of a life you have, you're looking at other people's lives thinking, wow, like, you know, she she just gets to fill in the blank or... You know, they have it better than me in some way. And at the end of the day, it's, you know, everybody's quarreling with their partner or, you know, grumpy about something or spilling stuff or, you know, not looking as cute as we do on Instagram. But it's really hard to remember that even for those of us who cognitively know that that's not real. So it's really kind of messed up what it does to us to see and compare ourselves on social media and there's been times where you know as a founder as the female founder who like wrote the book on that and was very early in the direct-to-consumer kind of space and, you know, a young star of entrepreneurship. There have been times where I've watched my fellow founders have these rises to success and their company's worth a billion dollars or they raised a hundred million dollars or they're in Time magazine, but I only made it to entrepreneur. I mean, I've had founders call me when like I'm on the cover of a magazine and a couple other women are on the cover of a business magazine. And this person literally is like, been like, she doesn't need any help. She's out there she's like how do you get these covers do you like pitch yourself or it's like you've already been on all of them and that fear that feeling of missing out even when you're like at the top but you're just not included in whatever's happening even if you're a peer you find yourself comparing yourself which is just it's oh, just yeah. like get to this point and you'd think that would stop in your life and it doesn't and it doesn't for anybody
0: it really doesn't. I found myself doing it just this last week. You Exactly what you said. I was comparing myself to people that I was on the same playing field as them. I was in the same group, but somehow or another felt like I wasn't. And it's, I'm like, I am crazy in the head right now. But it doesn't matter how much success you have. It's just a trap. And I would say that social media makes it really easy to play that comparison game. Would you agree?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. it's prioritizing what you're snooping. And like my feed is like, uh, diamonds, celebrities uh, before and after photos. It's like, what does this say about me? It's so embarrassing. Um, (laughs) I'm glad I'm the only one that sees it.
0: Do you think that social media today, do you think it's helping with the body acceptance and body positivity movement? Or do you still think it's in a place that it hurts us?
1: Social media is really a double-edged sword. It's a place where we can find other people who can inspire us and who are speaking about things that we may not otherwise be hearing about, or we may not otherwise be seeing examples of. It's a great tool for exposure and for empathy building. And it's also a really dangerous tool that can put us in a place of, you know, comparing ourselves to other people. One thing I find really challenging is this vulnerability conversation and it's trending and it's great and it's important and people should share how they feel. But at the same time, I'm a little conflicted because vulnerability is not, it's like you're still curating what you're vulnerable about. So you're curating what's trending. Okay. So if it's, you know, body image, then I'll talk about that. But like, what are you really not being vulnerable about? What are you leaving out? Like that's the stuff it's brave, right? To be vulnerable. But also there's so much more that each of us has to share. And maybe it's like antidepressants for me or something like that, that, you know, going beyond what feels safe to share to what is like, oh, wow, you know, not shock value, but like, how can we do it in a way that doesn't feel like there's a reward to being virtuous or a reward Uh, to being vulnerable because in that regard, then it begins to be something that stimulates dopamine. It's like, is it vulnerable anymore? Like once you've done enough of that,
0: do you know what I mean? Yes, it's true. I never thought of it like that, where we curate what we're being vulnerable about. So that some could argue it's also not totally transparent. So everything is smoke and mirrors.
1: We're all hiding and showing parts of ourselves um, at any given moment.
0: It's so true. Thinking about what Sophia said, I wanted to dig even deeper into the world of bodies online. I know there's this whole beautiful community of body positivity influencers out there who dedicate their feeds to showing all kinds of bodies, and challenging the negative thought patterns we're all fed around how to feed, sculpt, and display our bodies to the public. I have to be honest, sometimes when I see these images come across my feed, my first reaction is fear. These women were putting out into the world the very type of body I had carried shame around in myself. I knew I didn't wanna judge them but I couldn't deny my discomfort either. And then I had to ask myself, what did that say about me? Why did it make me so uncomfortable to see a body that didn't conform to these rigid beauty standards? What was I really so afraid of? I sat down with Ansley Morgan a body-positive writer and stylist who promotes fashion at every size. She's written beautifully, I might add, on this topic for publications like Refinery29, Man Repeller, and New York Mag, just to name a few. I wanted to know more about how she got to this place of radical love and acceptance, both privately and online. More than that, could she teach me too? to start out with the fact that I read an article you wrote where you first described being self-conscious about your body at age 10 in grade school. And that is so young. And yet I remember being that age as well, when I started to become preoccupied with my weight. So totally relate. So can you start
2: by taking us through your journey from that little girl to where you are today? Yes, definitely. Um, I mean, to go off of what you said, I mean, it's very scary to even think that someone that's 10 years old would be worrying about their body and what they look like. But from my experience and like most of my friends experience, I think that's pretty normal and which is kind of sad and upsetting. But um, I mean, for most of my life, I was very self-conscious and just aware of my size in a way that it held me back from in a way almost like fully participating in life I definitely like if you ask people that knew me in like middle school and high school, they would have described me as like shy and not outgoing, which I'm definitely way more confident now than I have been in the past. But I've always been someone who I take my time to warm up to people. But like these are people that I had known my whole life. And that's definitely probably how they would have described me. And it's just because I had been conditioned by the media and like diets to just believe that I was the wrong size and that because of that I didn't deserve attention or even like just anything good really I just would like beat myself up about my weight and I think so for so long it held me back Um, up until the point of when probably I mean I started being on Instagram in high school but it didn't really have like the positive effect that it did for has had for me until I was in probably my third year of college. And at that point, that was when I found like other people that looked like me and I was able to see these people looking like me in a body my size that were confident and beautiful and like not taking any um, flack for what they looked like because they shouldn't be. But I had never had that example And up until that point, so for a large majority of my life, I have been holding back like who I was and like not fully confident up until probably like 2016 is like when I say that I finally like really became confident with like who I was and like as a person. And it was definitely thanks to like being part of the body positivity community on Instagram.
0: I love that. Now, Something you wrote that really resonated with me is when you talked about your concerns about your body manifesting as trying to take up less space, something that I am still working on. So I want to talk to you about this because taking up space is just a hard concept for me because instantly I think I'm too big. I'm too much. How do you address that specific thought pattern? I'm allowed to take up space.
2: I think, you know, as a woman, we are taught not to take up space a lot of the time. For me, taking up space meant even just being loud and like having opinions that I felt like I couldn't have because I was scared that people were going to discredit anything I had to add because of my size. And so I just like internalized everything in a way to just try to be like, I'm here, but I'm still like small and little and quiet. Like, even though my size is bigger, I wanted to be like small in that way. Um, But now I think I've come even like, now I'll sit on the train sometimes on the subway (laughs) and like men, the space of the subway, they just spread their legs out and take up so much space. And then sometimes I'm like, I'm gonna do that too. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, I deserve this space. (laughs) Y'all don't need it. You can share it with me. (laughs) I love that. I
0: love that. (laughs) But like what, what shifted for you that you didn't want to take up space. You didn't want to be bigger. And now you're like on a subway, like,
2: move over here I am like how Um, what's like one thing that helped you get there I feel like this is a very weird thing but I like to like remove myself from the situation and like look at myself as if I was somebody that I didn't know like because a lot of the time I feel like so much of what I bog myself down with and like my um feelings about myself and my self-worth come from these ideas that I have of myself in my head so I would just like remove myself and like be like oh like if I saw a girl wearing this outfit I would be like she looks really cool I wouldn't have any ideas of like negativity about her size or anything so that's like a weird trick that I think has definitely helped me is like taking away all the harshness that we put on ourselves and trying to look at ourselves with a perspective where you're removed and because most of the time nobody has bad things to say about us it's it's very much in our heads. Can
0: you take us through the emergence of body positivity online and how they've evolved to include body neutrality and body inclusivity? So can
2: you actually tell us what these terms mean and beyond just being buzzwords? Body positivity is showing all types of bodies of of all shapes sizes skin color um special needs and being able to go on instagram and know that you're going to see all of that there and being able to open a magazine and see all of that represented there um and also in terms of clothing lines expanding their sizes to be size inclusive because a lot of brands aren't. (laughs) And even when they are, it's only up to a certain limit. And there's so many people who are just left behind, whether it's because they have special needs or they're just Um, over like a size 20. It's easy to focus on the negative aspects
0: of social media. And I'm sure we'll talk about some of those pitfalls, but can you first talk a little bit about some of the good things that social media has brought about when it comes to
2: representation of body diversity? So where's the good there? Um, I think for me, the good of Instagram has been the fact that when it comes down to it, you have control of what your feed is. And, you know, in the past, it, my feed was definitely felt filled with thinner people who I just couldn't relate to and um, who maybe made me feel bad about myself. But then once I started following more people like Gabby Fresh and Nicolette Mason, I was exposed to this world of plus size and body positivity. And like I said earlier, being able to see someone that looked like me and just like doing it unapologetically. Um, I think you just have to make the choice to edit who you follow and making sure that who you are following is somebody that makes you feel good about yourself.
0: Yes. So true. Now, do you feel like your social media is an accurate representation of who you are in real life?
2: And has it always been that way? Um, I think that it is closer now than it has ever been. Um, I think, I think that's something I still am learning because I just feel like, of course, we always put our best face forward on social media, but when I first started my Instagram, I didn't really show that much of myself. It was more like what I was wearing in my clothes and I was emulating like other bloggers that I followed who could fit into anything and just looked cool in anything because they were a size zero. And I got to a point where I, like, realized I was like, this is not me. Like I'm trying to be something I'm not. And I ultimately have realized the importance of being true to yourself and just like confident in who you are, because that's really what people enjoy seeing on Instagram. I think there's a big push for that of just being real. I, it's not like you need to post like every little th- detail of your life, but being open and just honest about what you're experiencing rather than trying to make it look picture perfect, I think is something that I look for in the people that I follow. And so following people like that has definitely made me more comfortable with showing more of myself on Instagram.
0: Yeah, it really does make a difference when you see other people do it that you admire and you're like, wait a second, if she can do that, I could do that too. And I think we need some more of that. So yeah, you make a really great point. One of the key questions I'm examining throughout this whole season is, can I love myself if I still want to change myself? And I've asked a ton of guests this, and every single one has had something different to say. So I want to hear
2: from you. Do you think that you can love yourself and still want to change yourself? I think that you can, um, definitely. I think when we first hear the words change yourself. A lot of the time we immediately go to the thought of like weight loss, but there's also a lot of ways to change yourself and whether it's, you know, just making better habits and better choices for yourself. Um, Personally, for me, um, I'm in this weird place where I want to get healthier because my family has a history of diabetes and I don't want to have diabetes. So I want to be aware and conscious of that without feeling like I'm on a diet, which is kind of a a hard thing that I'm still trying to figure out how to approach because I don't want to feel like I'm constantly worrying about what I'm consuming, but I still want to know that I'm making the right choices. So I think you can still love yourself and want to change yourself as long as no matter what, you're always loving yourself throughout the whole process and just making choices that make you feel good and not like miserable.
0: Yes, so very true. Well, Ansley, thank you so much for coming yes, on the show. Thank you. It was so refreshing to hear from you and and your perspective on how you use social media. So thank you
2: so much for being here. Thank you for having me, it was a pleasure.
0: You might be wondering, Amy, do you feel that social media is bad? And I would say, no, honestly, I don't. I think it's a tool like any other, and the representation it has afforded us can never be understated. For every Photoshop image of an influencer's waistline, you can find a dozen more accounts of women who 10 to 15 years ago would never be put on a magazine cover by the powers that be. Well, now those same designers and editors and movie directors and photographers are all looking to social media to try and figure out what we want to see. And we're telling them, in no uncertain terms, we want to see ourselves. We want to see our flesh, our scars, our full bodies celebrated and valued. It's a long, slow, brutal process. But I have to believe that things are changing. And social media is the easiest place to drive that change forward. I encourage you to find those accounts that celebrate what you want to see in this world and put them first and foremost on your feed. That's actually the best part about social media. You're allowed to block and remove any content from your site that you no longer wish to associate with. Utilize that. Protect yourself. Protect your well-being. Talking Body is hosted by me, Amy Porterfield. The show is produced and edited by Chelsea Harfouche with production support from Sterling Coates. Episodes are written and researched by Chelsea Harfouche, Celia Ties, and Amy Porterfield. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Special thanks to all the women who participated in the interview and research portion of this podcast. Talking Body is a 3% Chance production.